Section 3 of The Golden Bow. Part 1, The Magic Art and the Evolution of Kings, Volume 2, by James Fraser. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Leon Harvey. Chapter 9, Subchapter 2. Beneficent Power of Tree Spirits. Transition of Tree Spirit into Anthropomorphic Deity of the Woods. When a tree comes to be viewed, no longer as a body of the tree spirit, but simply as its abode, which can quit at pleasure, an important advance has been made in religious thought. Animism is passing into polytheism. In other words, instead of regarding each tree as a living and conscious being, man now sees in it merely a lifeless inert mass, tenanted for a longer or shorter time by a supernatural being, who, as he can pass freely from tree to tree, thereby enjoys a certain right of possession or lordship over the trees, and ceasing to be a tree soul, becomes a forest god. As soon as the tree spirit is thus, in a measure, disengaged from each particular tree, it begins to change its shape and assume the body of a man in virtue of a general tendency of early thought to clothe all abstract spiritual beings in concrete human form. Hence in classical art, the Sylvian deities are depicted in a human shape, their woodland character being denoted by a branch with some equally obvious symbol. But this change of shape does not affect the essential character of the tree spirit. The powers which he exercised as a tree soul incorporated in a tree, he still continues to wield as a god of trees. This I shall now attempt to prove in detail. I shall show, first, that trees considered as animate beings are accredited with the power of making the rain to fall, the sun to shine, flocks and herds to multiply, and women to bring forth easily. And second, that the very same powers are attributed to tree gods conceived as anthropomorphic beings, or as actually incarnate in living men. Trees supposed to give rain and sunshine. First then, trees or tree spirits are believed to give rain and sunshine. When the missionary to Rome of Prague was persuading the heathen Lithuanians to fill their sacred groves, a multitude of women besought the prince of Lithuania to stop him, saying that with the woods he was destroying the house of God from which they had been wont to get rain and sunshine. The Mandaras in Assam think that if a tree in the sacred grove is felled, the sylvan gods invite their displeasure by withholding rain. In order to procure rain, the inhabitants of Monyo, a village in the Sergian district of Upper Burma, chose the largest tamarind tree near the village and named it in the haunt of the spirit, Nat who controls the rain, when they offer bread, coconuts, plantains, and fowls to the guardian spirit of the village and to the spirit who gives rain, and they prayed, O Lord, Nat, have pity on us poor mortals, and stay not the rain, inasmuch as their offering is given ungrudgingly. Let the rain fall day and night. Afterwards libations were made in honour of the spirit of the tamarid tree, and still later three elderly women, dressed in fine clothes and wearing necklaces and earrings, sang the rain song. In Cambodia, each village or province has its sacred tree, the abode of a spirit. If the rains are late, the people sacrifice to the tree. In time of drought, the elders of the Wakumba in East Africa assemble and take the calabash of cider and a goat to a baobab tree, where they kill the goat but do not eat it. When November women go out to sow corn, they take with them in their basket of seed two green branches of a particular kind of tree, Peltoforum africanum sond, one of which they plant in the field along with the first seed sown. 
The branch is believed to have the power of attracting rain. Hence, in one of the native dialects, the tree goes by the name of the rain bush. To extort rain from the tree's spirit, a branch is sometimes dipped in water, as we have seen above. In such cases, the spirit is doubtless supposed to be imminent in the branch, and the water thus applied to the spirit produces rain by a sort of sympathetic magic. Exactly as we saw that in New Caledonia the rainmakers pour water on a skeleton, believing that the soul of the deceased will convert the water into rain. There is hardly room to doubt that Manhart is right in explaining as a rain charm the European custom of drenching with water the trees which are cut at certain popular festivals as midsummer, white suntide, and harvest. Tree spirits supposed to make the crops grow. Again, tree spirits make the crops grow. Amongst the Mandaras, every village has its sacred grove, and the grove deities are held responsible for the crops, and are especially honoured at all the great agricultural festivals. The Negroes of the Gold Coast are in the habit of sacrificing at the foot of certain tall trees. They think that if one of these were felled, all the fruits of the earth would perish. Before harvest, the Wabon Day of East Africa sacrifice a goat to the spirit that lives in baobab trees. The blood is poured into a hole at the foot of one of the trees. If the sacrifice were emitted, the spirit would send disease and death among the people. The galas dancing couples round sacred trees, praying for a good harvest. Every couple consists of a man and a woman, who are linked together by a stick, of which each holds one end. Under their arms they carry green corn or grass. Swedish peasants stick a leafy branch in each furrow of their cornfields, believing that this will ensure an abundant crop. The Harvest May The same idea comes out in the German and French custom of the Harvest May. This is a large branch, or a whole tree, which is decked with ears of corn, brought home in a last wagon from the harvest field, and fastened on the roof of the farmhouse or of the barn where it remains for a year. Manhart has proved that this branch or tree embodies the tree spirit conceived as the spirit of vegetation in general, whose vivifying and fructifying influence is thus brought to bear upon the corn in particular. As in Swabia, the harvest may is fastened amongst the last stalks of corn left standing on the field, and the last sheaf is cut attached to its trunk. The harvest may of Germany has its counterpart in the Erisone of ancient Greece. The Erisone was a branch of olive or laurel, bound about with ribbons and hung with a variety of fruits. This branch was carried in procession at a harvest festival and was fastened over the door of the house, where it remained for a year. The object of preserving the harvest may, or the Erisone for a year, is that the life-giving virtue of the bough may foster the growth of the crops throughout the year. By the end of the year, the virtue of the bough is supposed to be exhausted, and it is replaced by a new one. Following a similar train of thought, some of the Dyaks of Sarawak are careful at the rice harvest to take up the roots of a certain boluous plant, which bears a beautiful crown of white and fragrant flowers. These roots are preserved with the rice in the granary, and are planted again with the rice seed in the following season. For the Dyaks say that the rice will not grow unless a plant of this sort be in the field. Customs like the Harvest May in India and Africa Customs like that of the Harvest May appear to exist in India and Africa. At a harvest festival of the Lasai in southeastern India, the chief goes with his people into the forest and fells a large tree, which is then carried into the village and set up in the midst. Sacrifice is offered, and spirits and rice are poured over the tree. The ceremony closes with a feast and a dance, at which the unmarried men and girls are the only performers. 
Among the Bekoanas, backthorn is very sacred, and it would be a serious offence to cut a bough from it and carry it into the village during the rainy season. When the corn is ripe in the ear, the people go with axes, and each man brings home a branch of the sacred hackthorn, with which they repair the village cattle yard. According to another authority, it is a rule with the Pequanas that neither the hookthorn nor the milk tree must be cut down while the corn is on the ground, for this they think will prevent rain. When I was at Lataku, though Mr. Hamilton stood in much need of some milk tree timber, he durst not supply himself till all the corn was gathered in. Many tribes of the southeast in Africa will not cut down timber while the corn is green, fearing that if they did so, the crops would be destroyed by blight hail or early frost. The heathen Cherimis and the Russian government of Kassan will not fell trees, mow grass, or dig the ground while the corn is in bloom. Again, the fructifying power of the tree is put forth at seed time as well as at harvest. Among the Aryan tribes of Gilgit, on the northwestern frontier of India, the sacred tree is a chili, a species of cedar, Juniperus excelsior. At the beginning of wheat sowing, the people receive from the Raja's granary a quantity of wheat, which is placed in a skin mixed with sprigs of the sacred cedar. A large bonfire of the cedar wood is lighted, and the wheat which is to be sown is held over the smoke. The rest is ground and made into a large cake, which is baked on the same fire and given to the plowman. Here the intention of fertilizing the seed by means of the sacred cedar is unmistakable. Fertilizing virtue attributed to trees. In all these cases, the power of fostering the growth of crops and in general of cultivated plants is ascribed to trees. The ascription is not unnatural, for the tree is the largest and most powerful member of the vegetable kingdom. A man is familiar with it before he takes to cultivating corn. Hence he naturally places the feebler and to him newer plant under the dominion of the older and more powerful. Tree spirits making herds to multiply and women to bring forth. Again the tree spirit makes the herds to multiply and blesses women with offspring. The sacred chili or cedar of Gilgit was supposed to possess this virtue in addition to that of fertilizing the corn. At the commencement of wheat sowing, three chosen unmarried youths, after undergoing daily washing and purification for three days, used to start for the mountain where the cedars grew, taking with them wine, oil, bread, and fruit of every kind. Having found a suitable tree, they sprinkled the wine and oil on it, while they ate the bread and fruit as a sacrificial feast. Then they cut off the branch and brought it to the village, where amid general rejoicing it was placed on a large stone beside running water. A goat was then sacrificed, its blood poured over the cedar branch, and wild dance took place, in which weapons were brandished about, and the head of the slaughtered goat was borne aloft, at which it was set up as a mark for arrows and bullet practice. Every good shot was rewarded with a gourd full of wine and some of the flesh of the goat. When the flesh was finished, the bones were thrown into the stream and a general ablution took place, after which every man went to his house, taking with him a spray of the cedar. On arrival at his house, he found the door shut in his face, and on his knocking for admission, his wife asked, What have you brought? To which he answered, If you want children, I have brought them to you. If you want food, I have brought it. If you want cattle, I have brought them. Whatever you want, I have it. The door was then opened, and he entered with his cedar spray. The wife then took some of the leaves and poured wine and water in them, placed them on the fire, and the rest was sprinkled with flour and suspended from the ceiling. She then sprinkled flour on her husband's head and shoulders, and addressed him thus. I assure you, Bagathon, son of the fairies, 
you have come from afar. Shiri Bagartham, the dreadful king being from of address to the cedar when praying for once to be fulfilled. The next day the wife baked a number of cakes, and taking them with her, drove the family goats to the chilly stone. When they were collected round the stone, she began to pelt them with pebbles, invoking the chili at the same time. According to the direction in which the goats ran off, omens were drawn as to the number and sex of the kids expected during the ensuing year. Walnuts and pomegranates were then placed on the chili stone. The cakes were distributed and eaten, and the goats followed to pasture in whatever direction they showed disposition to go. For five days afterwards, this song was sung in all the houses. Dread fairy king, I sacrifice before you. How nobly do you stand. You have filled up my house. You have brought me a wife when I had not one. Instead of daughters, you have given me sons. You have shown me the way of right. You have given me many children. Fertilizing virtue attributed to trees. Here the driving of the goats to the stone on which the cedar had been placed is clearly meant to impart to them the fertilizing influence of the cedar. In northern India, the Emblica officianus is a sacred tree. On the 11th of the month, Falgan, February, libations are bowed at the foot of the tree. A red or yellow string is bound about the trunk and prayers are offered to it for the fruitfulness of women, animals and crops. Again, in northern India, the coconut is esteemed one of the most sacred fruits and is called Srifala, or the fruit of Sri, the goddess of prosperity. It is the symbol of fertility, and all through Upper India is kept in shrines and presented by the priest to women who desire to become mothers. In the town of Kwa, near Old Calabar, there used to grow a palm tree which ensured conception to any barren woman who ate a nut from its branches. Influence of May Trees on Cattle in Europe, the may tree or maypole is apparently supposed to possess similar powers over both women and cattle. Thus, in some parts of Germany, on the 1st of May, the peasants set up may trees or may bushes at the doors of stables and briars, one for each horse and cow. It is thought to make the cows yield much milk. Of the Irish, we are told that they fancy a green bough of a tree fastened on May Day against the house will produce plenty of milk that summer. In Suffolk, there was an old custom observed in most farmhouses that any servant who could bring in a branch of hawthorn in blossom on the 1st of May was entitled to a dish of cream for breakfast. Similarly, in parts of Cornwall, till certainly ten years ago, any child who brought to a dairy on May morning a piece of hawthorn in bloom or a piece of fresh bracken long enough to surround the earthenware bowl in which cream is kept was given a bowl of cream. On May Day, English milkmaids used to dance with garlands on their pails. One May morning, long ago, Pepys, on his way to Westminster, saw many of them dancing, thus to the music of a fiddle, while pretty Nell Gwyne, in her smock sleeves and bodice, watched them from the door of her lodgings in Drury Lane. May Tree or May Bush, a protection against witchcraft. However, in these and similar European customs, it seems that the influence of the tree, bush or bough is really protective rather than generative. It does not so much fill the udders of the cows as prevent them from being drained dry by witches who ride on broomsticks or pitchforks through the air on the eve of May Day, the famous well purchased night, and make great efforts to steal the milk from the cattle. Hence the many precautions which the prudent herdsman must take to guard his beasts at the season from the raids of these powerful creatures. For example, on May morning the Irish scatter primroses on the threshold, keep a piece of red-hot iron on the hearth, or twine branches of white thorn and mountain ash or rowan about the door. 
precautions against witchcraft on May Day. To save the milk, they cut and peel boughs of mountain ash, rowan, and bind the twigs round the milk pails and the churn. According to a writer of the 16th century, whose description is quoted by Camden, the Irish account every woman who fetches fire on May Day a witch, nor will they give it to any but sick persons, and that with an imprecation, believing she will steal all the butter the next summer. On May Day they kill the hares they find among their cattle, supposing them the old woman who have designs on the butter. They imagine the butter so stolen may be recovered if they take some of the thatch hanging over the door and burn it. In the northeast of Scotland, pieces of rowan tree and woodbine, or a rowan alone, used to be placed over the doors of the cowhouses on May Day to keep the witches from their kine. And a still better way of attaining the same object was to tie a cross of rowan tree wound with a scarlet thread to each animal's tail. The Highlanders of Scotland believe that on Beltane Eve, that is, the night before May Day, the witches go about in the shape of hares and suck the milk from the cows. To guard against their depredations, tar was put behind the ears of the cattle and at the root of the tail, and the house was hung with rowan tree. For the same reason the Highlanders say that the peg of the cow shuttle and the handle and cross the churn staff should always be made of rowan, who has that's most potent charm against witchcraft. In the Isle of Man on May Day, old style, people carried crosses of rowan in their hats and fastened mayflowers over their doors as a protection against elves and witches, and for the same purpose they tied crosses of rowan to the tails of the cattle. Also, women washed their faces in the dew early on May morning in order to secure good luck a fine complexion, and immunity from witches. Further, the break of day on the morning was a signal for setting the ling or gorus on fire, which was done for the sake of burning out the witches, who were wont to take the shape of hares. In some places indeed, as in the Lesayer parish, the practice was to burn gorus in the hedge of every field to drive away the witches, who were still feared in the Isle of Man. In Norway and Denmark, branches of rowan are similarly used to protect houses and cattle stalls against witches on Walpurgis night, and there too it is thought that the turnstuffs should be made of rowan. In Germany a common way of keeping witches from the cattle on Walpurgis night is to chalk up three crosses on the door of the cowhouse. Branches of buckthorn stuck in the muck heaps on the eve of May Day answer the same purpose. In Silesia the precautions taken at this season against witches are many and various. For example, pieces of buckthorn are nailed crosswise over the door of the cowhouse. Pitchforks and harrows turned upside down, with the prongs pointing outwards, are placed at the doors, and a sort of fresh turf from a meadow is laid before the threshold and strewed with marsh marigolds. Before the witches can pass the threshold, they must count every blade of grass in the turf and every petal of the marigolds, and while they are still counting, the day breaks and the power is gone. For the same reason, the little birch trees are set up at the house door, because the witches can't enter the house till they have counted all the leaves, and before they have done the sum, it is broad daylight, and they must flee away with the shadows. On Wallapurka's night, the Germans of Moravia put knives under the threshold of the cowhouse and twigs of birch at the door and in the muck heap to keep the witches from the cows. For the same purpose, the Bohemians at this season lay branches of gooseberry bushes, hawthorn and wild rose trees on the thresholds of the cowhouses, because the witches are caught by the thorns and can get no farther. We now see why thorny trees and bushes, whether hawthorn, buckthorn or what not, afford protection against witchcraft. They serve as prickly hedges 
through which the witches cannot force their way. But this explanation clearly does not apply to the mountain ash and the birch. Influence of tree spirits on cattle among the Wends, Estonians, and Caucasians. On the 2nd of July, some of the Wends used to set up an oak tree in the middle of the village with an iron cock fastened to its top, and they danced round it and drove the cattle round it to make them thrive. Some of the Estonians believe in a mischievous spirit called Metzik, who lives in the forest and has the will of the cattle in his hands. Every year a new image of him is prepared. On an appointed day, all the villagers assemble and make a straw man, dress him in clothes, and take him to the common pasture land of the village. Here the figure is fastened to a high tree, round which the people dance noisily. Almost every day of the year, prayer and sacrifice are offered to him that he may protect the cattle. Sometimes the image of Metesk is made of a corn sheaf and fastened to a tall tree in the wood. The people perform strange antics before it to induce Metzik to guard the corn and the cattle. The Circassians regard the pear tree as a protector of cattle, so they cut down a young pear tree in the forest, branch it and carry it home, where it is adored as a divinity. Almost every house has one such pear tree. In autumn, on the day of the festival, the tree is carried into the house with great ceremony to the sound of music, and amid the joyous cries of all the inmates, who complimented on its fortunate arrival. It is covered with candles, and a cheese is fastened to its top. Round about it they eat, drink, and sing. Then they bid the tree goodbye and take it back to the courtyard, where it remains for the rest of the year, set up against the wall without receiving any mark of respect. Tree Spirits Grant Offspring or an Easy Delivery to Women In the Duho tribe of Maoris, the power of making women fruitful is ascribed to trees. These trees are associated with the navel strings of definite mythical ancestors, as indeed the navel strings of all children used to be hung upon them down to quite recent times. A barren woman had to embrace such a tree with her arms, and she received a male or a female child according as she embraced the east or the west side. The common European custom of placing a green bush on May Day before or on the house of a beloved maiden probably originated in the belief for the fertilizing power of the tree spirit. In some parts of Bavaria, such bushes are set up also at the homes of newly married pairs, and the practice is only omitted if the wife is near her confinement, for in that case they say that the husband has set up a may bush for himself. Among the South Slavonians, a barren woman who desires to have a child places a new chemise upon a fruitful tree on the eve of St. George's Day. Next morning before sunrise, she examines a garment, and if she finds that some living creature has crept on it, she hopes that her wish will be fulfilled within a year. Then she puts on the chemise, confident that she will be fruitful as the tree on which the garment has passed the night. Among the Karakas, barren women roll themselves on the ground under a solitary apple tree in order to obtain offspring. Some of the hill tribes of India have a custom of marrying the bride and bridegroom to two trees before they are married to each other. For example, among the Mundas, the bride touches with red lead the Maha tree clasps it in her hands, and is tied to it, and the bridegroom goes through a like ceremony with the mango tree. The intention of the custom may perhaps be to communicate to the newly wedded pair the vigorous reproductive power of the trees. Power of trees to grant women an easy delivery. Lastly, the power of granting to women an easy delivery at childbirth is ascribed to trees both in Sweden and Africa. In some districts of Sweden, there was formerly a bartrad, 
of guardian tree, lime at realm, in the neighbourhood of every farm. No one would pluck a single leaf of the sacred tree, any injury to which was punished by ill luck or sickness. Brennan women used to clasp a tree in their arms in order to ensure an easy delivery. In some negro tribes of the Congo region, pregnant women make themselves garments out of the bark of a certain sacred tree, because they believe that this tree delivers them from the dangers that attend childbearing. The story that Leto clasped a palm tree and an olive tree or two laurel trees when she was about to give birth to the divine twins Apollo and Artemis perhaps points to a similar great belief in the efficiency of certain trees to facilitate delivery. End of section 3